Hello, everyone. Happy New Year, and welcome to the first episode of Season 3 of Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I am happy to be with you as we start Season 3 at the beginning of 2019. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday and a safe New Year's. Looking forward to a great season in 2019. We're going to cover lots and lots of great topics, all of, folk, all of them focused around the model that we follow, which is investing in multifamily real estate so that we can generate secure, stable, tax-advantaged cash flow and equity growth. This season, we'll be talking not only about the tools and techniques and strategies that Mora Poling uses to achieve that objective, uh, but we'll also be touching on how you may want to use uh, some of those techniques uh, if you're an uh, individual investor, uh, have your own properties uh, and such. Obviously, we would love to work with any of you that might have interest in uh, talking to us about joining our, uh, our client base. So if you have interest in that, please let us know. Uh, I'll be giving you some contact information throughout today's uh, session. About 90% of the strategies that Mara Poling uses on our commercial multifamily assets are applicable to uh, a residential investment. So a single family home, uh, duplex, triplex, fourplex, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, there are some differences, uh, and today we're actually going to talk a little bit about uh, all of the different vehicles you might be able to use to invest in real estate and take advantage of the uh, wonderful growth and diversification that you can earn uh, with an investment in real estate. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Uh, if you have questions, uh, we certainly love comments. Please feel free to leave some. Uh, don't hesitate to uh, shoot me an email. Uh, you can always get me at pat at marapoling.com. That's M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And with that, let's go ahead and dive in. So as I said, this entire season, we're going to be looking at the use of multifamily real estate to diversify a portfolio uh, to add security and stability, to take advantage of the unique tax advantages that uh, an investment in commercial real estate provides, uh, and ultimately to deliver uh, some tax-advantaged cash flow and equity growth uh, to benefit your portfolio over the long term. So let's look a little bit at the different ways that you can invest in the real estate marketplace. So I've got, I've got a list here of five that we'll take a quick peek at. Um, uh, and it's a bit of a trick question, if you will. So how do I invest in uh, the real estate space? Uh, so one of the topics that will come up often when I talk to folks about uh, investments they might have is they'll say, oh, I'm already in real estate. I own some public REITs. Uh, and that's fantastic. Uh, public REITs are a great place to participate in the market. You get, uh, you get some nice returns out of it. It certainly gives you some exposure to the real estate space. The key word, though, is public REITs. So a public REIT is traded on a stock exchange. And because it's traded on a stock exchange, 
the value of that unit, the value of that share is certainly driven in part by the value of the underlying real estate. It's also driven by the supply and demand of that particular share of stock, which can be volatile and is subject to all the other factors that drive the equity uh, stock marketplace. So, um, so not a bad thing to have in your portfolio. Not exactly what we're talking about in terms of a investment uh, directly in commercial real estate. The, um, the next one that we might talk about is an investment, as I mentioned a moment ago, in uh, maybe a single family rental, right? Uh, maybe you've purchased a condominium or uh, uh, went in with a couple of uh, friends and you bought a fourplex or something like that. Uh, anything in that size range is considered a residential uh, investment as opposed to a commercial. And we're going to focus on that today. We're going to talk a little bit uh, more about that particular space. Absolutely an investment in uh, multifamily real estate. Uh, does it meet all the same criteria that, uh, that we want to achieve in terms of security and stability and tax advantages? cash flow and equity growth. Uh, we'll take a look at that. Uh, in many instances, it does, uh, and in some instances, it does not. The, um, the next one we'll take a look at, and again, this is often an answer when I, uh, when I am chatting with folks and I, I ask about, hey, do you have any real estate in your portfolio? Uh, very common to have people say, well, yes, I do. I, I have a home. And, uh, and it's gone up in value a great deal over time. I'm very proud of the investment I've made in that. And, uh, and I'm so happy when people tell me that. That's a wonderful thing for them. That is not an investment in real estate. Uh, your home is not an investment. Uh, can you make money on it over time? Could it go up in value? Sure it can. Uh, it, one, serves a primary purpose of providing you a place to live. Uh, so it's not an investment from that standpoint. Two, it's not structured as an investment. That's not the way in which the asset was purchased. Uh, the debt is not structured in that way. It doesn't generate a yield in the same way and so on. So, uh, so a home doesn't qualify as an investment. Uh, and you'll find in many instances when you're having your portfolio evaluated or potentially being looked at for debt or uh, other items, uh, your home will actually be excluded uh, from your uh, portfolio. So, uh, so great to have a home that's gone up in value. Congratulations to all of you that are in that situation, uh, not part of your investment portfolio. So let's set that aside. Uh, another space that, uh, that is actually a great space to be in is the mortgage space. Um, people that do what we do at Mara Polling uh, and people that do residential investing, as I just described, uh, people that are in the fix and flip business, those sorts of folks, um, they, need, uh, they need debt uh, to make it work. Now, we go to the traditional agency uh, space, so Freddie, Fannie, uh, those folks, uh, for our debt, uh, for many folks, though, uh, agency debt is not available to them. And so they'll turn to private mortgage markets, uh, which are places that uh, you have access to as an investor. And you can get a very nice uh, return out of those. There's a different risk profile, which is why the return's a little better. Um, 
It's not real estate though. Uh, it doesn't have any tax advantages because it's not an equity position in real estate. Um, it is somewhat affected by the increase or decrease in value of the properties. Uh, generally, those notes are offered at a fairly low loan to value such that um, there's a lot of downside protection uh, and there's relatively little upside that can be experienced uh, depending upon how those notes are structured. Um, so not a bad investment to have, looks a little more like the fixed income bond portion of uh, an individual's portfolio. Uh, it's not real estate uh, from that standpoint. So then we get to the final of the five that I said we'd talk about, and that's the commercial multifamily space, which is the, the space that Mara Poling uh, operates in. Um, if you'd like to learn more about that in depth, we're not going to go uh, into it in the detail that we would uh, if we were looking solely at it today. Uh, please stop by the Learning Center at marapoling.com. Again, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And there's lots of great material there uh, that you can find that'll help you understand more about that, uh, that particular space. What I want to talk about today is if I want to diversify and I want to add a multifamily position to my portfolio, because I like the notion that it is a secure investment, it's a hard asset, that it's stable and performs stable, uh, stably over time, uh, that I can get some unique tax advantages and that I can get some cash flow out of it as well as some growth and equity. Um, how do I do that? And the two options really that came out of those first five are an investment in the residential space and an investment in the commercial space with Mara Poling or, or with a firm like ours. So let's talk about uh, the differences between those two and uh, how one performs in uh, a certain uh, area or characteristic, and then how the other does as well. Um, so there's one difference, and it's the actual difference that we use, uh, and not just we, but the industry uses, that the federal government uses, that the debt markets use, uh, to differentiate between the residential space and the commercial space, and that is size. Uh, so not a surprise that anything below five units is considered residential. Uh, you heard me describe a moment ago a single family residential property, which could be a, uh, a home uh, on a piece of land, a detached home. It could be a town home. It could be a condominium. Uh, it could be any of those, but essentially a unit that was defined for a single family. Uh, it could be a duplex uh, or a triplex or a fourplex. When you start getting into an eightplex or uh, a 16plex or a 40 unit property and so on, those are commercial assets. Uh, Mara polling, we work in the commercial space. Uh, generally, uh, between 80 and 100 units on the small side and three to 400 units uh, on the larger side. There are absolutely investments in properties that are larger than three to 400 units. Uh, those tend to be dominated by uh, large institutions, uh, oftentimes uh, the insurance industry plays in that space. Uh, the business market there is a little different in terms of the economics, so we stay out of that space. Uh, and the 100 to 300 unit space uh, is kind of our sweet spot from that standpoint. So size in this instance matters, right? And, and here's how it matters. We're going to walk through some characteristics. We'll talk about uh, volatility and vacancy and 
reserves and equity growth and a whole bunch of other factors here as we talk about the differences between these uh, between these two. So let's start with one of the most uh, important ones, and that is management. Uh, if you have purchased a single-family home, or again, a duplex or fourplex or something like that, uh, how you manage that asset uh, is a is a really big difference between uh, obviously how an investment in a commercial size asset is going to be. If you own a single family, uh, often that is managed so it's an owner operator uh, project. Uh, so you're getting tenants, you're doing the maintenance work, you're subcontracting out maintenance work, uh, you're much more actively involved in the uh, operating of that particular asset. Uh, when you get to a duplex or a fourplex, that still works. Uh, if you move into the commercial space, right? So if uh, an investor or, or a small group of investors wanna buy a, uh, a 20plex or a 40plex, you're beginning to get to a size where potentially some professional management starts to make sense. You won't, it won't be on-site management. Uh, on-site management starts, not surprisingly, around that 100 unit uh, size that we that uh, we discussed a moment ago. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we have our threshold around that 100 units is we want to have professional on-site uh, managers. It significantly improves the performance of the asset, uh, the uh, quality of the tenant base, the stability of the asset over time. Uh, and it provides for an ability to manage over long time horizons. Difficult to do that when you're managing on your own. So that's one of the primary differences that you'll experience. As we go through season three here and we talk about uh, the uh, rest of the model around security and stability and tax advantages and so on, as I said, about 90% of that will be applicable to this residential space. So if you are a residential investor, uh, hopefully you'll you'll get some benefit out of our uh, our season uh, three material as well as season one and two. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those. Um, not everything will be applicable, and this is one of the examples where uh, it's not. Um, so an offshoot of that from a management standpoint is uh, the amount of time that's involved. So it it's often overlooked when individuals do their analysis from a financial standpoint, the uh, cost of the time that's invested. Now, you might be of a, of a mindset that, well, it's my time. I, I wouldn't be doing anything else with it. So I enjoy doing this and it's, I, I get some satisfaction out of it. Very common and uh, good for you. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad that you uh, are in that position. Some folks aren't. Uh, some folks have other activities that are competing for that time. So putting some value on the time that you invest in the management um, uh, can be uh, a smart thing to do. The other is uh, your estate planning. Probably the most common um, thought-provoking question that I will ask folks that come to us that are investors in the residential space is um, uh, what's your long-term estate plan for the assets that you're holding? It is not uncommon for one individual to be very actively involved with assets that uh, that they've invested in, and for the spouse, significant other, uh, balance of the family 
to have little or no interest in those assets? Um, often the answer is, uh, yeah, the day after I'm gone, uh, it's quite likely that these assets will just get sold because the family's not really interested or vested in this particular process. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, an investment with a firm like Mara Poling on the commercial side provides an ability for there to, there to be a longevity and uh, much easier estate planning uh, process. Uh, all of those together, all of those are some of the reasons why uh, a number of individuals that we work with um, are in fact folks that either currently are invested in residential real estate, maybe they've trimmed some of those holdings, and uh, quite a few actually have, have sold off the residential investments and moved uh, primarily to commercial. So for those, those are what I would describe as kind of personal reasons. A couple other factors, uh, and these, uh, if you're looking for an investment in the commercial side, uh, these are ones I would suggest that you uh, uh, look at. And again, not really differences uh, on the residential versus commercial space from a strategic standpoint, but you'll see differences in performance. Um, so volatility, uh, we like the security and stability of commercial multifamily real estate. I say commercial multifamily real estate because residential uh, multifamily real estate uh, is more volatile. And the reason it's more volatile, uh, if you think about it, kind of makes some sense. Uh, one reason is uh, vacancy, uh, occupancy, however you want to uh, describe that uh, half full, half empty, right? Um, and the reason for that is this is, and let's take a fourplex, which is the largest of the residential properties. Uh, you're either 100% um, occupied or 75% or 50% or 25% or zero. Uh, when a tenant moves out, uh, you have an empty unit and you, it's gonna be divided by that, uh, that small number of four. And obviously it gets worse at a triplex and a, duplex in a single family. So uh, a tenant gives you notice, uh, they move out. And when they move out, it takes you some, even if it's a modest amount of time to go in, clean the unit, uh, do any minor repairs, get it ready, get it back on the market, get it leased up and get a new tenant in there. That could take anywhere from a few days to a few weeks to maybe a month. And one month uh, on one unit is an 8% uh, a vacancy rate just for that particular unit. If you turn all four of your units over the course of a year or two, you're looking at anywhere from a five to eight to 10% vacancy rate. And that's just physical uh, vacancy. Could be much higher than that. Obviously they line up at the same time. Uh, in addition to that, you've got any issues around bad debt and uh, any concessions you might have to give. Uh, to get folks to uh, to move into. Contrast that with a 100 unit property where uh, if one just one additional tenant gives notice, well, you're talking about in that particular month, that's just a movement of 1% uh, of vacancy. It doesn't really move the needle nearly as much. And obviously it's less and less as you go larger in um, scale. A similar number that's associated with that is rent movement. So in the commercial space, uh, our rents move fairly consistently. There's a market movement that occurs, and then uh, we do value-add work, so we'll see value-add rent movement as well, and it's fairly consistent, and it's something we can forecast with a high degree of accuracy, and therefore we end up with additional stability. 
very common in the single family uh, residential space that owner operators will sign a lease and then leave rents stable. And they won't do any rent movement at all uh, over the life of that tenancy, which is probably not a big deal if you're talking about one year tenancies, even two year tenancies. Uh, I know folks that have had the same tenant in a property for 10 years and they've never moved the rent. There's a lot of money that's been left on the table uh, doing that. So uh, again, one of the differences that, uh, uh, that we think tilts the, the scales in the favor of being in the uh, commercial space. Reserves, uh, very common when individuals do the math on a return that reserves will get left out of the uh, calculation. When we do an underwrite to purchase an asset, we'll not only lay out a certain amount of uh, money for the obvious things, right? We've got to pay for some utilities like maybe trash or something along those lines, uh, pest control. Uh, there's uh, some money that needs to be set aside to cover property taxes. That's going to be the same. Uh, there's also some repairs and maintenance kind of money and some money to uh, take care of the units when it's time to turn them, when a tenant moves out. That can often be forgotten. So if you're investing in residential real estate, uh, make sure you add those numbers in. And then reserves. Uh, and these aren't rainy day reserves. We're not talking about some money set aside for some uh, unforeseen catastrophe. We're talking about money that's being set aside for things that we simply know will happen. Uh, hot water heaters do not last forever. Uh, neither do roofs, uh, nor... Um, nor plumbing, uh, nor electrical or flooring. And uh, you can see where we're going here. There's quite a few items. Uh, I can't tell you how many uh, residential real estate investors I have chatted with that have decided to move out of that space because they've lost an entire year's profit when some event has happened that they weren't prepared for, that they hadn't been setting money aside. And obviously, the reason they hadn't been setting money aside is had they been doing that, the properties wouldn't have been cash flow positive, which maybe gives some indication about the uh, security and stability of that asset. Again, on a commercial asset, those dollars can be set aside. In the vast majority of instances, that's actually required by the lender, held in a reserve account, and then drawn down uh, upon over, um, over time. So, uh, so reserves uh, add to the security and stability of the asset. Uh, again, cash flow is kind of the same for both, right? So you've got rent that comes in, you've got expenses that go out, and then uh, debt service, uh, some reserves, again, if you're being, we think, smart about it. And then what's left is going to be cash that can get distributed. Cash flow on a commercial asset is going to be more stable uh, over a period of time. Uh, you've got the ability to actually drive it because of the rent growth that we talked about. Whereas in the residential space, uh, it can be more volatile uh, because of the vacancy issue that we described earlier. And the fact that uh, often rents are not moved as significantly or um, at all. The, um, the final piece that we talk about here uh, in terms of a difference between the, um, the two is um, equity growth. So both properties, uh, a residential property and a commercial property, are going to grow in value uh, over a long period of time. Um, 
uh, and by that I mean say over a five-year time horizon that that would be a reasonable expectation but they grow in two extremely different ways a residential real estate investment grows in value based on what the other residential assets near it comparable assets have sold for so if you were to purchase a uh, let's say a duplex you buy a duplex for $250,000, when it comes time that you want to sell that a few years down the road, say five years down the road, when you go to sell that particular asset, it doesn't matter that you've increased rents and that you've driven the profitability of how you've managed that asset. It's going to sell for what the other duplexes in the neighborhood are selling for. Maybe that number's gone up a great deal. Maybe it hasn't gone up at all. Maybe it's actually gone down a little bit. It's really going to move independent of what you've done in terms of managing that asset. Contrast that with the commercial space. Commercial properties are valued based on the operating income they generate, which makes a lot of sense. While you're buying an asset, a hard asset, it's tangible, it's a piece of real property. You're also buying a business uh, that generates income. And the way that is valued is a function of the income that's generated and a term that uh, those of you that are longer term listeners with us will be familiar with, which is cap rates. We've got some material on cap rates on the website. And again, if you have questions uh, about this in more details, feel free to shoot them to me. Uh, but cap rates is essentially the uh, multiplier that the market would provide uh, to a, a piece of income. So let's just, we're going to make the math easy for us. Let's say we're in a market that's a five cap market. That means that every dollar of income is worth $20 in equity. So if I can increase the income on my property by $1,000 a year, I've just added $20,000 in value to my asset. And that's potentially achievable on a single family rental or a duplex or a fourplex, but it's not gonna get valued that way. On a commercial property, say a 100 unit commercial property, I might be able to move the value, uh, pardon me, the uh, operating income of one unit by $1,000, and therefore that unit will go up in value by $20,000. And then that's something obviously that we could potentially replicate across the entire uh, property, 100 units, 200 units, 300 units. This ability to drive equity growth as a function of income means that as we drive rents, which we talked about earlier, being able to drive them in a more stable manner, a commercial real estate investment is gonna see not only cash flow grow, but it's gonna see a growth in, in equity. Um, so those are some of the differences uh, between the two. Uh, is that an argument to not be in the residential space? Absolutely not. Uh, it's a great way to begin to learn and understand how the real estate space operates. Uh, you've got a few issues there that we would encourage folks to deal with, the management, the amount of time and it's involved, uh, how it might fit in your estate plan. Uh, having dealt with those, these are great assets to be involved in going in eyes wide open with these particular issues. We would strongly encourage everyone, whether it's with Mara Poling or another firm, to take a look at getting into 
the commercial multifamily space. And again, we would encourage uh, 100 units or more, so there's on-site uh, management. Uh, you get additional stability as the unit uh, count gets larger, 100 units, 300 units, 400 units, and so on. Um, the equity growth is tied to a function of the growth in income. We go a step further uh, at Mara Polling. In addition to having individual uh, properties in our portfolio, we also have a fund product, which includes a number of assets, uh, increasing the diversification uh, and further uh, growing our scale, which allows us to, um, to provide even greater uh, stability. I would encourage all of you, as I've said, I've talked about the Learning Center. I'd encourage all of you to stop by the Learning Center and register for the upcoming event that we have on Wednesday, January 9th. Uh, it is the State of the Multifamily Market webinar. Uh, myself, Bill Mara, and Lauren Torres, uh, our senior management team, we will be together uh, hosting that webinar, answering questions from our, uh, our investor base, as well as from the uh, listeners that we have uh, and other folks that have participated in some of our other webinar sessions. So uh, stop by the Learning Center at marapolling.com. It is the uh, top listed uh, webinar. Uh, simply click there and you can register. Uh, if you aren't able to make it, please register anyway. We will make sure that you get a link to a copy of the recording so you can uh, hear how we've answered all the questions. We already have a good stack of questions that have come in, but I would ask each of you, if you've got a question in mind about what you want to know about the future, uh, our crystal ball's not necessarily completely accurate. Uh, we certainly have uh, some ideas, though, about what's going to go on in the market. Uh, what we're expecting and planning for in terms of interest rates and cap, uh, cap rates, uh, where do we think we are in the cycle, uh, and a number of other factors. So uh, so shoot those questions in. Uh, you can just email them to me directly, pat at morapolling.com. Uh, register and join us, please, on Wednesday, January 9th for that, um, that session. I hope you've enjoyed uh, today's session, and I look forward to speaking with you again next time on Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.